Well, good morning again, everyone. Uh, if you guys need a Bible before we begin, raise your hand so we can get a Bible to you so you can follow along with us. Just raise your hand and we'll get a Bible for you. This morning we start a new book. Now, if you've not talked to anybody for service, then you don't know. And if you did, don't say anything, all right? I told my wife, I said, she asked me uh, early this week, she said, so what are you going to teach on Sunday? So I'm not telling you. And then Kevin Presley asked me on Friday night at VBS, he goes, so uh, what are you teaching on Sunday? I said, well, I told my wife I wasn't going to tell her. And he says, well, then you can't tell me. If you told your wife, you can't tell her. <laughs> and so uh, we're going to start a new book. And I prayed about a couple different places, prayed about maybe James or Nehemiah or, or even Genesis or those things. And then the Lord just kind of kind of dropped this on my lap. I thought, man, this is perfect for the time that we're living. So turn with me in your Bibles to... The book of Jonah. I'm excited for this. We're going to start a series over the next four weeks called God's Call to Revival through the book of Jonah. The difficult thing about teaching the book of Jonah is you want to get through the whole story at once. (laughs) Oh man, let's get to this part and this part. But we're going to take it one chapter at a time. And so, Jonah chapter 1 this morning. had the opportunity a year ago to go down to the Sight and Sound Theater and watch the Jonah play that they had down there. It was pretty incredible. I mean, it was pretty cool. Watch the Moses one, but I like the Jonah better. But anyway, we start chapter one. The top of my message is God's call on our lives. Now, before we begin, I need to say that some people find this book kind of fishy. Others may find it hard to swallow. But I pray as we go through it, you get hooked on it. A well of a tale about a rebellious prophet, a wicked city, and the God of second chances. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather together this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit in our lives who brings your word to life in our lives. And I pray, Father, as we study this great book of, of Jonah and you're working in this prophet's life, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts this morning. Show us, Lord, the things that you want to show us in our lives personally as a church corporately. Father, we pray if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to come into saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray, Lord, that you would touch their heart especially this morning. We thank you for this time. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Read of a story of a, a young girl who was out on a street corner sharing her faith. And this older man walked up to her, and a well-known intellectual and an atheist, and he said to himself, I'm going to really embarrass this young girl. I'm going to make a fool out of her in front of all these people. So as she's speaking, this little crowd begins to gather. And this man speaks up with this booming voice, and he says, Young lady, excuse me, I have a question for you. She turns to him and says, yes, sir, what is it? You say that you believe in the Bible. Is that true? She said, oh, yes, I I believe in the Bible. I believe it's a word of God and every word of it is inspired. Oh, is that so? Then I suppose you believe in all the miracles of the Bible. Oh, absolutely, she said. Every miracle in the Bible, I believe it. Oh, is that so? 
So then you must believe in the story of Jonah and the well that a man was actually swallowed by a well and lived to tell about it. Do you believe that? She said, well, yes, sir, I do. He said, well, is that so? Well, then tell me, how is it possible that a man could live inside a well for three days and three nights? She said, I don't know, sir, but when I get to heaven, I will ask Jonah. He says, well, what if he's not in heaven? What if he's in hell? She said, well, then you ask him. Many years ago, just before his death, Jerry Falwell said these words, quote, With the world on the brink of pandemonium, it is our responsibility to point people, no matter their heritage, ethnicity, or religion, to the one and only solution, Jesus Christ. On those words, I think it's just fitting to be starting the book of Jonah. God has had a call on Jonah's life, and eventually he answered that call, but it took some serious negotiating. God has a call in each one of our lives as well. We're not, we're, we're to be a light in this dark world. But I think that every now and then, we as believers, we need that boost, you know. We need that, that, that boost, so to speak, to really get us going and doing what God has called us to do. So hopefully as we spend the next four weeks or so to cover this great book, we will have a renewed excitement and an understanding that it's our responsibility and our privilege really to point people to Jesus Christ. The only hope, the only solution we have for the times in which we live. So if you're taking notes this morning, we're going to see three things, three points. Number one, God's call. Number two, Jonah's run. And number three, God's solution. And then we're going to close and enter into time of communion. So number one, we begin with God's call. Look at verses one and two of Jonah chapter one. We read, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. God spoke to Jonah in his own unique and powerful way, and he told Jonah to do two things. First, go to Nineveh. Second, cry out against it. That's it. Just rebuke them for their sin and call them to repentance. Sounds easy enough, except we need to know something about Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And here was a problem. They were a very, very wicked people. In fact, so wicked that God says here that their wickedness has come up before me. Another way to translate that verse is their wickedness has reached a high degree or the highest pitch. In other words, their wickedness was overflowing. It was full to the brim. I hate to use this grotesque analogy, but it it works. It was like an overflowing septic tank. It just stunk. It reeked. It was a horrendous thing. Just so filled with sin, and it was just coming over the top. God said, that's it. It needs to stop now. Listen, none of man's wickedness is hidden before God. He sees it all, and it may come to a point where he demands the, the, the specific warning and judgment of God. I mean, Nineveh was legendary for its cruelty, the Assyrian people. In fact, graphic accounts of their cruel treatment of captives have been found in Assyrian records. Uh, History tells us that the Assyrians thought nothing of burying their enemies alive, skinning them alive, impelling them on sharp poles under the hot sun, maiming them, cutting off their ears of the prisoners, cutting off the nose of the prisoners, pulling out their tongues. Killing children, boys and girls. They were horribly cruel. So God says, that's it. That's enough. I'm not going to take this anymore. 
Same type of situation I think we find in Genesis chapter 6 where the wickedness of man was so great that God said, that's it, my spirit shall not always strive with man. See, God would first sound a warning before judgment. For Nineveh, it was a case of immediate repentance or judgment. Now, I can't help but look at the United States today and wonder if the same thing is not true for us. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. Franklin Graham had said this recently, America is at a crossroads. The descent into godless immorality and debauchery has accelerated so rapidly that unless God intervenes, our country simply will never be the same. Our culture is on the verge of complete rejection of the moral restraining power of the church that has played such a prominent role in our nation's incredible history. I agree. Folks, I see it this way. America has two options. Judgment or revival. That's it. Our Congress is not going to save us. Laws are not going to save us. No presidential candidate, no matter how bad they are, is going to pull us out of this pit that we've sunk into. The only hope for America is a far-reaching spiritual awakening. It's a revival. But revival begins with you and revival begins with me. It begins with that call upon your life, upon my life, to obedience, to do what God has called us to do. You know, it reminds me of the Old Testament uh, story of Esther. Have you ever read that story, man? If not, I encourage you to go back and read it. It's a wonderful, dramatic story. It's a story of a beautiful young Jewish girl named Esther who actually won a beauty contest and, and, you know, and, and eventually made her the queen of the kingdom because she won the contest. Esther was taken into this palace of the king. She was given the finest food. She was given the finest clothing, surrounded by servants. I mean, she was living in the lap of luxury. But there was this wicked man named Haman. And he was working in the kingdom as well. And he hated the Jewish people. So he devised this plot to exterminate all of the the Jews living in the kingdom. And he's preparing to make his plan come to pass. But Esther had an uncle. Uncle Mordecai, it was his name, and, and he knew that his niece was in a place where she could influence the king to turn the king from doing this horrible thing. Yet she wasn't doing anything about it. So one day Mordecai came outside of the wall of the city and, and calls out to Esther, and, and Esther responds, what do you want? And he said, Esther, what are you doing? Who knows uh, that God has not put you where you are for such a time as this? And Esther, uh, then he said, Esther, if you do nothing, relief and deliverance will come from another. But who knows that God doesn't want to use you. In other words, Esther, come out from your ivory tower, come out of your palace, let God use you to help us. And so she went to the king and appealed to him and this wicked plot was averted. And in fact, Haman ended up you know, being hung on the same gallows that he had prepared for the Jews uh, that he wanted to destroy. All that to say that uh, the same way, who knows that God has not put you right where you're at for such a time as this, this morning. Maybe, you know, you're at your place where you work and there's this one person that just is driving you crazy. And you've been trying to get a transfer for months. Nothing has happened. And you say, how long, Lord, will I have to deal with this person? They talk too much. They wear too much cologne. I don't like what they say. Get me out of here. Did you ever think that maybe God has got you right smack in the middle of, of, of His will for your life. That God has put you there just for that person. Maybe, you know, you're with people you wish you weren't around. Maybe it's certain family members, relatives. 
Oh, Lord, just give me a new family, please. I want to trade them in. God has got you where you are for such a time as this. So listen, seize the moment. Do what you can. Take that step of faith. That's what Esther did. Let's not kick back. Let's do something. It reminds me of the passage found in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, speaking to Christians. Paul writes, And do this knowing the time that it is now high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And then he goes on to say, The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let's get on with it. This is not time for half measures. This is not time for restraint. This is not time to whisper the life-changing message of the gospel in a corner somewhere. This is time to shout it out from the housetops. This is time to let people know that there is a God. And sadly, what we're seeing today is Christians just offer Jesus kind of like a sort of an, ad, ad, uh, an uh, added to his life, you know. You know, when you add something to detergent, it's an additive. You know, I've got to add this in there, you know, to improve something. And they'll say, well, you know, Jesus, I mean, he's my best friend and he gives me peace and joy and love and I feel great. So you need Christ in your life. They say, well, I feel all right. I, I mean, I, I, life isn't bad. I'm pretty happy. Oh, never mind then. Well, wait a minute. It's true that Jesus gives us peace. It's true that he gives us joy. It's true that he fills the void in our lives. But, you know, those are just fringe benefits that come along with the relationship with Jesus Christ. The big thing is that Jesus Christ has done for you. He's forgiven you. He's forgiven me my sin. And he's given us the absolute assurance that when you die, you go to heaven. Let me tell you, the, the older you get, the more you appreciate that. But it begins with repentance. It begins with repenting of our sin, turning away from our sin. Uh, so God here, he's calling on Jonah's life to, to preach repentance to this great, wicked, pagan city. Again, revival begins with repentance. It begins with you and with me. So Jonah had a choice. Do I do what God asked me to do or do I run? Well, we know, know what happens next. God says, Jonah, go. And Jonah says, no. Not a good thing. This brings us to point number two. Jonah runs. Look at verse three. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, why did Jonah run? Some say that he was afraid of the cruel Assyrians. Others suggested that he was proud and didn't want God's mercy to make him look like a liar. Most likely, however, knowing that Jonah was a patriotic Israelite, he loved his people and the Ninevites were their enemies. So when God says, Jonah, uh, Jonah, go preach to the Ninevites, he thought, why? God, I know you. See, you have this tendency, God, to forgive people. And my fear is you're going to let these people off the hook. And I'm kind of happy to know that you're going to judge them. That's one less enemy we have to contend with. See, Jonah didn't care about the Ninevites. He didn't care that it was a city of tens of thousands of people. And we'll see possibly even 120,000 kids under the age of five. His procrastination and personal prejudice was stronger than any passion for the lost. In fact, the truth of the matter is, judgment for Nineveh suited him just fine. They were the enemies of Israel, and in his mind, they certainly deserved it. In fact, he was hoping God would do it quickly. You know, some of us, I think we can be that way. 
There might be some of us that may take some perverse pleasure in knowing that certain people that really bother us are going to go to hell one day. People that irritate us, that that harass us, that make fun of us. And we say, oh, they're going to get what's coming to them. They're, They're going to end up in hell. Certainly that's not the kind of attitude we should be having as believers. The fact of the matter is, where do we get off thinking that way? We all deserve to go to hell. We all deserve the judgment of God. I mean, after all, Jesus didn't say to us as Christians, hate your enemies and hope judgment comes to them soon. (laughs) Did he? No, he said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But Jonah put patriotism above evangelism. Jonah knew the Ninevites. If they turned to God, he would forgive them. And the last thing Jonah wanted was to see them blessed. He wanted to see them blasted. But before we judge too harshly on Jonah, we must search our own hearts. What if the Lord said to you, I have a mission for you. I want you to go to Iran. I want you to go to, go to Syria. I want you to preach to ISIS repentance. Oh, man. If you were like Jonah, if you were like me... <laughs> I'd have a hard time with that request. So I do cut Jonah some slack. But here's the point I want to make. Our Father says, I love this world, including all of those who might shout death to the great white Satan in America. You may not understand this, but I do. I love them. See, folks, we're a part of the kingdom of God. And our King is merciful. Our King is compassionate. Our King is slow to anger and desires all to be saved. People everywhere need to hear the message of the gospel. Well, Jonah runs. Now, Jonah doesn't just run. He runs completely in the opposite direction. Instead of going 500 miles northeast to Nineveh, Jonah attempts to go 2,000 miles west to, to, to Tarshish. It would be as if the Lord said to you, I want you to go to Chicago and preach. And you said, I'm going to South America. I'm out of here. The complete opposite direction. See, Jonah's thinking, the further I get, the safer I will be. Look again at verse 3. Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I like the way Pastor David Guzik puts it. He says, when you run away from the Lord, you never get to where you're going and you always pay your own fare. But when you go the Lord's way, you not only get to where you're going, but he pays the fare. I like that. Twice we're told here in verse 3 that Jonah thought he could flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, there have been many over time that thought they could flee from the presence of the Lord, and they've been unsuccessful. We go all the way back to the beginning. Adam and Eve, remember the story? Like Jonah, listened to the word of God. It was clear in detail. They were told how they should obey and follow the Lord, but they refused to obey God. And after they said, what was the first thing that they did? The Bible says that they, went and they, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. And then in the cool of the day in Genesis tells us that the Lord was walking the cool of the garden and said, Adam, where are you? Have you eaten of the tree I told you not to eat of? Now, why did God say that? Could, I mean, was it because God did not know where Adam was? I can't find him, man. That guy can really hide good. I mean, he's good in a hide and seek game. No way. The all-powerful, all-knowing God who created heavens and earth knew exactly where Adam was. So why did he say, Adam, where are you? Because he wanted Adam to admit his sin, to confess his sin. He wanted him to say, Lord, I'm here, I sinned, I blew it, I'm sorry. Yes, Adam was hiding. 
telling Eve, hey, let's hide over here, Eve. He won't see us. It's okay. God has some blind spots, you know. Not true. <laughs> you can't hide from God. You know, I think that's the mindset of some people today. They see the way that America has broken God's laws. And even though we know what is right, we have chosen not to obey, and we don't see the consequences right away. So in the process, we think either God doesn't see it, or worse yet, we misinterpret God's grace for His approval. Because nothing has happened, we think we're getting away with it. Nothing horrible has happened to our country. Or as an individual, you might say, I break the laws of God all the time, and it's, it's fun. Nothing has happened to me. It hasn't caught up with me yet. And you confuse God's grace and mercy for God condoning or for God not seeing. But watch out. There's going to come a day when the hammer's going to drop, when God is going to say, that's it, no more. It's end. It ends here. Why? Because God sees. That's what God said in the book of Jeremiah 23, verse 24, in the New Living Translation. Can anyone hide from me in a secret place? Am I not everywhere in all the heavens and the earth, says the Lord? Jonah was going to discover that. He's running away from God. But there's a problem, you know, uh, with a God who's everywhere. You can't get away from Him. Wherever you run, God is there. Jonah should have remembered Psalm 139, verse 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I send into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. See, sooner or later, you run from God, you're going to get caught. That's why it's best not to run from God, but to run to Him. Listen, know this. God loves you, and His plan for you is better than your plan for yourself. Look at verse 4. So the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. So when Jonah boarded the ship for Tarshish, he's running from God. But when the storm arrives, now Jonah is running full force into God. Okay, This is amazing. And what's so great about this is that, uh, and about our God is that, that Jonah runs away, but God is pursuing after him. God's not letting him go. Now here's the thing. God had other options. He had other men. Hosea the prophet, he was on the scene at that time. The prophet Amos also was prophesying at that time. Even Isaiah was possibly there as well. So right there alone, God had three prophetic heavyweights to call on. Three powerful prophets that, that God could have said, you know, listen, Jonah's being a wimp, okay? He's flaking out on me. Hosea, I need you and Amos to go down and deliver this message to Nineveh. God doesn't do that. He pursues after Jonah. He's not going to let Jonah get away so easily. He's put in a roadblock after roadblock in his path. And it starts with a, a storm in verse 4. You know, God is control of the storms. You know, I, I love it. Psalm 135, verse 7 says, God causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. God does it. Now, why did God do this with Jonah? Listen, God was more interested in what he was trying to do in Jonah's life than what he wanted to do through Jonah's life. Let me say that again. God was more interested in what he was trying to do in Jonah's life than what he was trying to do through Jonah's life. God didn't need Jonah's voice. He had other preachers, but God wanted Jonah's heart. Because if you notice, you never read in the story that God was angry with Jonah or disappointed with Jonah. God simply wanted to do something in Jonah's life, and Nineveh was a part of that journey for Jonah. Part of his training process uh, for Jonah's life. 
See, this is something we need, we, we need to remember about God. We are told in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are His workmanship. We are His, his work of art, His masterpiece in, in, in the making, created for good works. In other words, God has got a plan for you, and He's in the process of molding you and shaping you to fit into that plan. God is seeking to do a work in your lives and through our lives. And the training grounds that we go through are the different places and the different scenarios and situations that we find ourselves in that God then takes and uses them as opportunities for ministry in our lives by His Holy Spirit. It's all a part of the process. Listen, life is filled with doors that that God wants us to walk through, and each door is a part of that molding process to accomplish His purpose for our lives. It might be a revelation, God revealing something to you. Or it could be a, a place of stretching, you know, where a storm, where challenge beyond our abilities and comprehension. But see, God places that open door before us and He wants us to walk in it. But if you choose to run from that, God loves you enough to pursue you. Not because He can't accomplish His work without you in that situation, but because He wants to work in you. He loves you and He's committed to you. Which I'm extremely thankful for. So how did this play out for Jonah running from God? Well, the weather started getting rough. Tiny ship was tossed. If not for the tossing of the fearful prophet, the minnow would be lost. Look at verses 5 through 8. Then the mariners were afraid. And every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had laden down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call unto God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for what cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And of what people are you? So we see the sailors are caught in this storm. They're afraid. They're freaked out. Now these are seasoned sailors. So this was no little storm. And we read that they're, they're, they're all praying to their false gods, their false deities. And that where was the guy that had the true relationship with the one true and living God, the, the, the God that can truly help? Verse 5 says he's gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Now in the original language repeatedly records Jonah as going down, down, down. Jonah chapter 3, he's going down to, to, to uh, rather, verse 3, he goes down to Joppa. Then he goes down to the ship. Verse 5, he goes down into the hold. And finally, in chapter 2, verse 6, he sinks down into death itself. That's what sin does. It's a downward spiral. When we run from God, it's a downward path. One more thing about this that teaches us about running from God, it's exhausting. Jonah's fast asleep. Fast asleep. Now, that, I think, is really the only way that he could shut off his conscience. The conviction in his soul, the the voice of conviction in his heart was to go to sleep. Maybe you've experienced that before. You've got so much going on in your life. Maybe this this is stressed out and this is going on. And you think, man, I just need to go to sleep. I need to go to bed. You're, You're seeking that escape. Listen, people do the same thing spiritually. They check out. They find ways to ignore the voice of conviction. But the problem with that is if you do that for too long, you'll end up like Samson. You know his story. Fast asleep, Delilah cuts his hair, and then the Philistines attack him. Samson gets up. He thinks he's ready to go. I'll kill them like I've always done. But then the saddest verse in the Bible, that says in the book of Judges 16.20, 
but he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. His anointing was gone. I think that might have been what inspired David to write Psalm 51:11. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Why? Because spiritual slumber can lead to death. See, at the time, Jonah should have been concerned about all the people in Nineveh who were scheduled to die, and yet Jonah seems to be the master of the I-don't-care-attitude. I-don't-care-mentality. What they do, I mean, they deserve it. He wasn't about taking the good news to this ungodly nation. Wrong way to be. I read a, a comment the other day on a blog that one person put it this way. Among Christians, in, in, and in an intellectual, emotional level, being indifferent to the souls of people is much more dangerous and worse than the fear of ISIS. Spurgeon, he puts it this way. He says of Jonah, he says, Jonah was asleep amid all the confusion and noise. And, O oh, Christian man, for you to be indifferent to all that is going on in such a world as this, for you to be negligent of God's work in such a time as this, is just as strange. The devil alone is making noise enough to wake all the Jonas if they only want to awake. All around us there is a tumult and storm, yet some professing Christians are able, like Jonah, to go to sleep in the sides of the ship. Mind me of another thing Spurgeon said. He says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies, and if they perish, let them perish with their arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled with the, filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Are any of us asleep right now? You know, when we first came to Christ, we were wide awake. We looked for those opportunities to share our faith. We couldn't wait to see people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We couldn't wait to be a part of a Bible study, to volunteer, to get involved in somehow helping in any ministry that we could. And we continued to read God's Word. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, I need to take a break from ministry. And, oh, you know, I need to take a break from Wednesday night Bible study. And, oh, nobody will miss me if I miss a Sunday or two. Listen, we need to get back to that first love relationship and begin to take steps of faith out of our comfort zone. Otherwise, we, we, we find ourselves in and start looking for, and we need to start finding ourselves looking for opportunities to be used by God. I think maybe this coming election is a wake-up call to what's going on around us. Folks, if we want revival in our country, it starts with us. It's been said, nothing can happen through you until it has first happened to you. It starts with you, and it starts with me. See, I like what this captain says. He comes down to Jonah, and he says, What's going on with you, sleepyhead? Sort of. Verse 6. What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may perish. What's interesting about that is we see the word arise again. Remember, he's going down, down, down. Now we get the word arise again. In verse 2, God said, Arise and go to Nineveh. And now here in verse 6, the captain uses the same word, Arise, call on your God. You get the idea that God's trying to get Jonah's attention. Doesn't it ever happen to you in your life? Maybe it's a Bible study on Sunday morning and the Lord speaks to your heart about something, but you kind of dismiss it. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Then on your way to work the following Monday morning, you're listening to a Bible study and, and there it is again. The same verse, that same word. And, and then you start talking with a brother or sister and, and all of a sudden they bring up the same verse and go, okay, this is kind of weird, you see. God's grace is repeating the message because he's trying to get your attention. God was trying to get Jonah's attention. One more thing here. Notice it was the ungodly captain who told Jonah to pray. Jonah was the one who was supposed to be telling 
others to seek God, but instead he's asleep and the captain tells him, hey, he needs to pray. That's ironic to me. The captain didn't understand most of the details about God, but he knew that they were in a really bad storm. It was assumed in those days that if a storm like this rose up, that's bad that someone had offended the God, the deities. So since they didn't know what God was offended, they were desperately trying to appease all of them. So he tells Jonah to pray. Let me ask you this. Do you think Jonah prayed? I doubt it. I really doubt it. Because he knew why he was in the storm. He knew he was the cause. He knew that he was in sin. And when you're in sin, the only prayer that God is waiting and willing to answer is a prayer of confession and repentance. I mean, how can you expect to have your prayers answered if you're not doing what God has called you to do in the first place? Maybe you're living with your boyfriend or girlfriend and God has shown you to arise, get out of that relationship, but you continue to sleep together. Then you listen to a sermon that the pastor of yours keeps bringing it up. Then you turn on the radio and the pastor on the radio brings it up there on the radio. Then you get this unexpected bill in the mail and you can't afford to pay it so you decide to pray. Oh Lord, help me with my finances. God's going, wait a minute. I ask you to do this thing first before I can bless you. You need to do this in the first place. Thus I'm convinced that Jonah didn't do any praying when the captain told him to because he knew what he was supposed to do in the first place and he didn't do it. He was in sin. James 4.17 says, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now we don't know how long the storm beat against the ship, but eventually the sailors decide that they need to find out who the guilty party was, that it angered their gods. Certainly Jonah wasn't fessing up. So they cast lots. Jonah gets a short end of the stick. Now casting lots was a common practice back then, but it was purely random. Yet God this time allowed it to fall on Judah. Why? Because again, God is still trying to get Jonah's attention. So he gets caught. Sellers ask him 20 questions. It seems like 20 questions. Look at verse 7 again. Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? What is going on in your life that you brought this about in our lives? Verse 9. So he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. What a liar. Okay, of course, the Lord is the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. That part is true. But Jonah says, I fear the Lord. That's a lie. Because to fear the Lord means to obey Him. It means a holy reverence for God, a desire to please Him. It's, it's an awesome fear of, of displeasing God. You don't want to displease God. It means obedience. And I don't see that with Jonah. His words were not matching his walk. Because if you're living in disobedience to the Lord, then you don't fear the Lord. Worship, you're living a lie. I don't say that. God says that in His Word. 1 John 2, 4 and 5. He who says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not Him. But whoever keeps His Word, truly the love of God is perfected in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. 1 John 2, verses 4 and 5. See, Jonah had broken that covenant with God as a prophet. He's running from God's will. He's not reverencing Him. He's not fearing Him even though he said he was. So the verse 10, the men say, it says that the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. (laughs) What are you, an idiot, Jonah? Why would you do something like that? And these guys, they're freaked out. 
See, Jonah mistakenly thought that he could run away in rebellion from God. He thought he could hide his sin from God. He thought he could hide out in this heathen ship where, where no one would be the wiser. But he was caught. His sin found him out. That's always the case. Reminds me of the story I read about some crew members of an English ship sailing around the Cape Horn in the 1870s. They mutinied against their captain, shot him in the head before throwing him overboard. But his body landed on an ice shelf. Forty years later, off the, cent- the coast of central Chile, an iceberg was spotted. To keep it from impeding the passage of sailing vessels in the area, a couple of men sailed out to blow it up, only to discover this frozen body of a man encased within it. After chipping away at the top layer of ice, the body was identified as that of Frank Shaw, a sea captain who has disappeared. Thus, the mutineers who for 40 years thought they had gotten away with their crime were hung on the, on the gallows in London. Be sure your sin will find you out, God says. Jonah was caught. So now the crew doesn't know what to do with him. So they ask him in verse 11, What shall we do with you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. It was getting worse. Now at this point, Jonah could have said, I can handle it. I just need to pray to my God. I need to repent and tell him that I will do what he has called me to do and the storm will cease. Simple. But it doesn't do that. Why? Because he's still running from God. He thought, I would rather die than tell those stinking Ninevites to repent. So what, did, what does he tell this crew instead? Look at verses 12 through 15. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land. But they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. (laughs) I love that. Lord, don't hold us accountable for this, okay? We see what's going on here and he's telling us to throw him in, so so we're going to do it. In you go, you know. Boom. Jonah goes from running from the Lord to swimming with the fishes. Now, now I can just kind of imagine what the scene must have been like. I mean, here's this radical storm. I mean, the crew doesn't know what to do. Waves are crashing on the ship. It's getting bigger and bigger. The ship's about to be broken apart. Jonah says, my fault, throw me overboard. They do, and suddenly the sea is as glass. Just, just calm. Man, it's no wonder verse 16 says that the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. See, they got a ringside seat on what the one true and living God is capable of doing. Nothing close to what any of their false gods that they were praying to could do. And suddenly they're vowing to the one true and living God. And notice that the vows of the sellers came after they were delivered. Many commentators believe that the sellers came to true faith in God because of that. And here's my point. God used Jonah in spite of Jonah. He used Jonah in spite of Jonah. The sellers moved from fearing the storm to fearing the Lord, just as the disciples in the boat did when Jesus calmed the storm with them. The sellers recognized that God was great. The sellers learned God was powerful, even though it was through this tragic example of Jonah. But they did learn the lesson. And it just goes to show us what Paul has said in Romans 8, 28. You know, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. 
Now, be that as it may, this was not a pleasant moment for Jonah. God said to Jonah, go. Jonah said, no. And God said, oh. Look at verse 17. Now, the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The Lord will always have the last word. This brings us to our final point. We're going to close and we'll enter into a time of communion. Number one, God's call. Number two, Jonah's run. Number three, God's solution. What was God's solution to Jonah's running? God had prepared this great fish to swallow Jonah. Now, in the next message together, we'll we'll talk about how this technically could take place and what this meant for Jonah. But let me say, this was truly a miracle. Notice that the the word says here that the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Uh, We assume it was a well. doesn't say it was a well. It could have been a sperm well. It could have been a humpback. We don't know, but we assume that. But the Bible doesn't say it was. It just says the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. It could be just this one fish that the Lord created right then and there, you know, this huge beast of an animal, you know, to swallow Jonah. Maybe it had, you know, a few bedrooms, a living room, and it decided, I don't know. You say, Tom, that seems a little too far-fetched. Now listen, I believe God can do anything. God can do anything. If you believe the first verse in the Bible, you can believe anything else throughout the whole Word of God. Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you can believe that, the rest of the Bible will come relatively easy for you. But here's my point. God was not done with Jonah. He was doing whatever it takes to get Jonah's attention. And in the same way, God is not done with you He's not done with me. He has so much more he wants to do in our lives personally and in in this church as a church family. And maybe the Lord has been trying to get your attention on an area in your life that you need to be working on. Maybe he's been calling you to share with your neighbor or your boss at work and God's been saying, go. And you've been saying, no. Listen, God desires to use you because it's a blessing to be used by God. It's not something that, that, that God is saying, oh, I know how horrible it is and how painful it is for you to tell someone about me and I know how miserable you're going to be, but, but please do it anyway. No way. God is saying, as you share your faith, your faith is going to be strengthened and you will begin to see revival in your heart and in your life, but it starts with you. It starts with me taking that first step. One pastor put it this way, if you're losing a tug of war with a tiger... Give him the rope before he gets to your arm. You can always buy a new rope. That's just another way of saying, let go and let God have control. So maybe you're here this morning, you've been running from God. And God has been trying to get your attention. Maybe you've never given your life to Him. And you've not surrendered to Him. And He keeps calling you to Himself. But you keep saying no. Can I encourage you this morning to stop running from God and run to Him? Receive the forgiveness of your sin and the promise of heaven this morning. So I think when the scribes and the Pharisees wanted a sign from Jesus to prove that He is who He claimed to be, Jesus answered and said to them in Matthew twelve thirty nine and 40, He said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus was not only verifying the story of Jonah that had actually happened, but he was letting them know that he was going to give his life for the world, that he would be put to death, and three days later he would rise from the dead. 
See, God's solution to man's problem is Jesus Christ. God's solution to sin is Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for our sin. Three days later, Jesus rose from again from the grave and He's alive and He's here right now. And if you're running from God this morning, it's time to run to Him. If you've never given your life to Him, it's time to give your life to Him this morning. We're going to enter in time of communion. Communion is a time where we, we examine our hearts before God as believers. We want to make sure that we're doing what God has called us to do. And maybe as a believer, you've been running from God and some things that He's called you to do. Remember what I said to him who knows to do good and does not, it is sin. Maybe there's some things God has laid in your heart that he wants you to do and you've been saying no. Listen, as we enter into communion, confess it as sin, repent from it and say, God, I'm going to go. I'm going to do as you call me to do. And if you're here this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, communion is for believers. And so I would encourage you, before we pass up the elements, we're going to hold on to the bread, we'll take it together as a church. We're going to hold on to the juice and take it together as a church. But if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, it's not for you. My encouragement to you would be to, to give your life to Him this morning so that you can receive communion with us. Say, Lord, it's a prayer of asking God for forgiveness. It's running to Him to find that grace and mercy and forgiveness in your life. And God is there for you if you run for Him, from, to Him. I'm going to give you that opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for the powerful story that is recorded in the life of Jonah in this situation. But more than that, we see the love that you have for people. So much so that you gave your son to die on a cross for every sin that we've ever committed. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that has never given their life to you, they've never surrendered to you, they've been running from you, Lord, I pray that they would run to you this morning. They would give their life to you this day. That they would find the forgiveness of their sin. While their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed, is there anyone here this morning you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? You want to be born again today. You want your sin forgiven. You want to be renewed. Know that if you die, you'd go to heaven. If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? This is just between you and the Lord. If anybody you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning. So I can see it. God loves you so much. Run to Him this morning. Father, we thank You that as believers we can celebrate what we call the Lord's Supper communion. Remembering the cross. Remembering what You did for us upon the cross. So Lord, we examine our hearts, Lord, this morning. Lord, shine Your Holy Spirit's light in our lives, Lord, and, and show us, Lord, if there's areas we need to deal with. Lord, if we're doing well, Lord, then we just rejoice, Lord, that we can partake, that we can remember what you did for us. So bless this time, we pray. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.